You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Well, welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show, where we interview the wildest and brightest and most exciting and most storied Australians and international guests that we can get access to. We've had a big couple months, actually. We've had... Wendell, you had Dominic Perrottet on the other day. Yeah, well, look, I was just about to say we've had a procession of royals come through, but I wouldn't count a career politician as a royal. But we've had a lot of music royalty, um, artistic royalty. We've had heaps of people coming through the Channel Country the last little bit. We're on the way up. Robert Forster, followed closely by Speed, Mm. the hardcore band from Future Royalty. Future Royalty. They sold $50,000 worth of merch as an opening act at the Enmore. That's a record-breaking stat. And today's guest can speak to all of those experiences and milestones. Not $50,000 worth of merch. No, that's... Man, I'd, that would be... Uh, congratulations to Speed. That's, that's yeah. great news. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's great when you can see... Um, I mean, I, that's what we want to talk to you about today. The path you paved... Do you want me to be Dominic Perrottet or Robert Forster? Well, got, yeah, what, how do you got, feel about poker machines? I, I hate gambling with a passion. It's made a wreck of... <laughs> A large element of my family, so I, I do. Yeah, everyone, everyone has that story. It's funny they still exist. Mm, um, mm. But yes, thank you for joining us today, Tim Rogers, solo artist, artist in his own right, and of course, UMI, a storied and uh, staple and stayer mm. of Australian music. Thank you for joining us today on the Batuta Advocate Podcast. This is a pleasure, CNW. So, <laughs> there's, uh, there's, I think there's theatre in there as well. There's a few acting appearances, yeah. maybe a book coming up as well. Uh, I've got a new book I'm starting. Yeah, I released one a few years ago and um, just finished up a big film, actually, which frustratingly I can't talk about. Yeah. There's actually, when you do those big sort of blockbuster mm. films, you can't talk about them. And I'm dying to talk about it because it's a, it's a great one and working with a fantastic director and a, and a great cast and um, I can't talk about it. That's what, say, that's what they say at the pub on the Friday Arbor. You get that on the big jobs. You do get that on the – it was a big job. And, and uh, working with that kind of crew, you know, hundreds of people on crew and, and the money and actually got paid for it and uh, I get killed within 15 minutes. And, oh, awesome. But I now understand why films cost so much yeah. because they get uh, – Moving parts. Well, if they're going to pay someone like me, that's <laughs> – so insurance That's, you're talking about, yeah. Well, we, um, my accountant, who may or may not be my mum, yeah. and her job for 15 years being my accountant's pretty much, she says it's keeping you out of jail because yeah. it's, uh, it's always just you're above the surface. And when you mention that band selling $50,000 worth of merch, man, that'd get me out of a lot of trouble at yeah, the moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, making records is pretty expensive. Um, didn't do interviews with you guys normally get this discursive? No, no, we, this, we, we this could go anywhere. Musicians are interesting because they have to tell stories for a living on stage. You know what I mean? So I wish more would. Yeah, I get a little disappointed when seeing other acts and and their badinage is just. You guys are great. <laughs> you guys rock, yeah. which may or may not be true. But my favourite artists of musical artists have been ones that it's pretty obvious that they don't have a patter yeah. uh, and they'll just have stories because if you're a musician I think worth your salt and I've been thinking about this quite a bit over the past few years because my partner Alice is a um, former ballerina and now she's the resident choreographer at the Australian Ballet and with ballet because I'm quite 
close to a lot of her um, former dance partners and, and within that administration and you m- will go somewhere and set yourself up for two months and, mm-hmm. and do whatever town it is. Overseas. Residencies. And, Residencies. And, yeah. and as a musician, you'd, you'd, each night you're somewhere else yeah. unless you're successful and you do successive nights <laughs> somewhere yeah, yeah. else. So, and you, you pick up a lot of stories along the way and often they're not your own, but um, then you just grab them and you turn them into your own and that's your in-between song banter right there. Yeah, and can please tell me, be honest here, mm. have you ever worked on stage and fucked up so badly that maybe you were in Belfast and you said, hello, Dublin? Or have you done oh, anything yes. like that? You, tell you, tell you, us. Hey, you, you do not make that mistake. <laughs> I know that one's the one you don't mistake. <laughs> oh. but, um, <laughs> yeah, um, you know. I, yeah I, I try not to... We've done it, by the way. We did a live show and we walked on stage in Toowoomba and said, hello, Townsville. Um, Again, And but luckily, because it's Batuta Advocate, they thought that was the first joke. So, okay, let's keep it. It's a pretty good gag to open with. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to try that same mistake. And two towns that I love very dearly and so I won't make that mistake. But, yeah, said mistakes like that. That's not the worst mistake I've made on stage, getting a name wrong. But um, some of those towns playing in Ireland and this... You know, such a beautiful country and and wonderful to travel around, but you get told pretty quickly where you can't be. And, yeah, yeah. And it'll often just be not the the troubles, but just um, with family. So, do you have you ever been to Limerick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got feuds and all that kind of stuff. Limerick is yeah. is one of the, and I just thought, wow, we're playing Limerick again, and I love that town and this club we play there. And I was there by myself, and and my friend, the the promoter, just let me know you don't walk out of here and turn right. Yeah, yeah. You know? turn left when you get out i mean that's it's it's a pretty wonderful way of seeing the world i, I haven't really traveled apart from apart from music w- apart from work yeah, yeah. Uh, and i don't think it's going to happen really yeah. and uh but lucky enough i've been lucky enough to tour a lot yeah and it's a pretty interesting way of seeing in the world because it it might be said well we, all you see is the inside of pubs and which is pretty true, but you get, you have to form very intimate relationships and trusting relationships with people very quickly because yeah. you're trying to put on a show and then you're just trying to get somewhere and, and find a bit of floor to sleep on. and So you, it gets pretty intimate pretty quickly. Speaking of uh, travel, you mm. come from, I wouldn't say the old school, but you come from an era, like oh, you, at, le- at least you cut your teeth in an era, <laughs> when you would do that here. Bands nowadays mm. don't do the night train in Broken Hill. And no. I'm sure you have many times. And yes. I'm sure they still talk about it in Broken Hill about when you and Mike came to the night train. We talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. The, the circuit isn't there. And mm. we'd, do, we'd be doing seven nights a week. And that was a wonderful experience. But um, it's just not there anymore. And a, well, why isn't it there? Because I think the kids are still there. Uh, the kids are still there. I live in the country town, you know. And if bands came through, it would be incredible um the vicissitudes of, of running a venue are unknown to me but it would seem i think just that running music venues became very difficult and running venues without music is financially easier yeah. running venues with artificial music and flashing lights and machines that go that's much much easier much cheaper if you run a, a, a venue, and there are venues around in smaller towns, but um, it's it's graft for them. They've they've got to love it. Yeah. Uh, there's winery circuits that you can do um, if you're kind of an, a level more popular than I am. You yep. could pretty much do them all year. Yeah, almost. Yeah. I mean, even Bruce does the Hunter Valley. Springsteen, when he comes to town, he'll do the wineries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, um, now the uh, I guess at a particular stage, it, 
folks worked out that you needed to, to almost do sponsorship deals and get to support. So, yeah, that, that circuit thing, because you'd run into each other, other acts and, and um, crew at petrol stations. Yeah. And now it's at airports. And, yeah. and uh, you know, airports, I hate airports, but they should be fun because there's often you can get, get into the lounge. and. Yeah. And when I walk in there and I see uh, young performers, because I like to think I still keep an eye on what's going on, and if they're hunched over laptops and headphones, I think, no, come on, let's yeah, all... Yeah. Yeah. Let's and, go punch a durry next to the Bowser. <laughs> 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 I could not have put that better myself. Um, <laughs> Is it part of audience building that it's not necessary to go out to these smaller venues and locations as well now with the way mu- music is you can just you build a presence online you build an audience and they'll come to you in major cities that's i think you've just hit it disappointingly so mm. i think if you're part of a, a scene a particular form of music if it's um metal in particular or, or, or punk or hardcore um you can do that and because you're part of a scene and that's important but if you're kind of in this pop rock genre like a band like you and i are it's um yeah that's right and forming presence online is a complete bore and i'm being asked to do it at the moment and doing it because you want to get your music out there and um cover (laughs) some bills and and uh, get people to your show it's uh it's a bit of a drag, honestly, and I, I just wish that young, for younger performers in particular that there wasn't this – they didn't feel a need to constantly be putting out content. Yeah, well, that's how they get themselves into trouble too because you, really? you can't be saying <laughs> – you can't be putting yourself out there nonstop without eventually getting it wrong, you know what I mean? If it's a branding exercise. Well, also it's you – know, Qantas can do it. You can do it. I just like there's a, there's a bit of with, – with artists uh, that there's a bit of mystery mm. and when – it was even I'd set up a had to set up a Twitter account, and I follow about maybe twenty people and some authors. I think Tom Robbins has, uh, who's one of my favourites, has a has an account, or um, Martin Flanagan has an account. And they're, now they're good, they're great and um, funny, and but just yeah, every day being asked to where are you now? I I like to think that uh, particular music performers or authors or poets that I love come from out of space yeah. and that after their, their work's done, they get in the spaceship and go off and live on their own planet. Yeah. But it's just, as you intimated, it's just not the way of things at the moment. You need to kind of get out there and um, press the flesh. Uh, so take us back to the start. You lived in every town you could possibly live in south of, effectively south of Mount Isa. Mm. Were you an army brat growing up? No, mining. Mining, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mum's an accountant. Dad was FIFO? Mum wasn't then. No, Dad wasn't uh, FIFO. He, um, Dad was an engineer on trams and trains in Melbourne and then somehow got an offer of a job out in Kalgoorlie in mining and he didn't do a lot underground after we moved there. He was in kind of administration and in machinery and then um, he moved on to road machinery and so that's why I started moving around. Yeah, right. Really. Um, we were going to move to Groot Island actually. Yeah. Um, that was really exciting for us as kids because we, I was in Kalgoorlie till I was seven, and we went to Perth till I was ten, and then this offer came up for Dad to work in in Groot. And looking back now, I mean, I'm mining, you know, it's a it's an interesting industry. There's yeah. there's there's harsh stories as well as some 
some good ones and and I, I even noticed that dad had a bit of an ambivalence towards it subsequently but it, he was young and it was a job and yeah and and, mm. and it hadn't you know it hadn't been politicized it certainly hadn't been a boom in australia with mining at that point it was it was a fringe kind of job uh yeah well i guess that, that we went to cal in 69 because there was a nickel boom mm. but not of the the sort that have been uh storied since then particularly out that way it was just that that was the thing to to mine at that time so yeah. that was kind of what yeah was. this is before the genas and twiggies this is a, a different I, era i think so you know <laughs> i think i've been in the company of those people it's it's again being associated through my wife with the ballet and then of course, music. Yes. you find yourself at situations where you're amongst super wealthy people <laughs> the ballet uh, and it's just um uh, very dear friends of ours who are, who are Alice's patrons are, are wealthy and very interesting people. And, and again, you just get thrown in these situations. I guess that the impression is that someone who, like me and, and particularly looks like me, is must think that we'll just hang out with, um, hey, uh, Bernard Fanning came over the other day and then Paul Kelly dropped by and yeah. then it was Casey came and we played a game of cricket. Yeah. And, uh, but just all walks, you just yeah. m- meet them all. And um, <laughs> as, as you must hear, as you yeah, said, yeah, with, the, yeah. with this show, uh, yeah. there's a lot of lives out there. And Do you find yourself looking back at your career, right? I want to talk about your partner uh, as a ballerina. Do you think that maybe you complained a bit too much when you look at what they go through? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I was a complete whinger. And <laughs> when uh, get asked about the 90s make the 90s and and uh my ritual response is to go i oh, wasn't my favorite time of my life and uh and i guess it could be something but why i mean it was the most successful time of your life and you had a bit of money and there was lots of free stuff got thrown at you and you got to tour 300 nights a year but i just didn't appreciate it as much yeah. as i do now and also at that time because we were signed to labels in in the states warner brothers over there and and in europe as well and it was all about the next thing and becoming bigger. And yeah. well, if you've had a number one record in Australia, surely you can have one in a, a successful record in the states. And and that's just if you if you're not a business kind of person, it, it just takes you away from what you should be concentrating yeah. on, which is your performance and your writing, and and also looking after those around you. And and I don't think I ate in seven years, and mm. so it was just on living on piss and and whatever you know drugs could get you could get your hands on and so that's not conducive to good relationships and yeah. to, to, to long-term happiness yeah. but do you still reckon a ballerina gets whipped harder oh the the, <laughs> the dance world is um that's is brutal think about them like alice's stories just their toes in, in, mm. in general it, her feet have only just now recovered and that's good looking feet right there but uh when i first knew her 12 years ago and she was touring far more than I was and it was, yeah, brutal and the injuries and what happens. And so her new production is for the 60th anniversary of the Australian Ballet and she's bringing back retired dancers to, to dance right. in this new production and their stories are, are nuts. So before there was an awareness of just the proper protocols, not only around injuries but around um, misconduct, mm-hmm. just weren't there. Yeah. Uh, even when Alice started out. Now it's better yeah. but still uh, it, it's brutal yeah, yeah, yeah. and so going to those rehearsals I'd, I've got nothing to complain about <laughs> you know the, the, flying through a bloody storm in Sydney last night and having to wake up early and oh geez <laughs> that's you no. got 10 healthy toes you would presume <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple I that won't are take my whack. shoes off yeah no I play a lot of footy still and so there's I got 
broken. I mean, what idiot who's a guitarist and a singer plays still plays competitive cricket and footy? And I do. Cricket's a big one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good well, way to f- up I play your with uh, with Taradale, my local uh, local team, and uh, yeah, all sorts of crap goes on. And I got bounced by a kid, this punk from. Um, I was out near Bendigo the other day a couple of times and after the game I, I bought him beer and I'm 53 and he was 18 and uh, I said, dude, I need to play shows this week and, and he kind of looked at me <laughs> like, I do not give a damn about that. You know, just, yeah, yeah. just hand over the Carlton draft. He'll, yeah. he'll be Old talking man. about those bounces for years and years yeah. and years. No, he will once, once it sinks in. <laughs> once it sinks in how rude he was to one of his favourite musicians, maybe. Oh, oh no, no, he, he, didn't, he didn't give a toss. He just saw me as an old man. And it, it's interesting, again, just that with that different walks of life, you know, when playing in competitive sports teams and playing against these young kids who just don't give a toss mm. about you. You're an old man in their way. And um, thankfully I'm a medium-paced bowler as well, so mm. I can give them a little bit of a touch-up. But look at kids and they go, I don't want to bounce them or, or you know, and after if, if I get someone out and, and I'll go and give them a you know, pat on the back and go, good playing against you, you know. <laughs> I've turned uh, quite genial in the... <laughs> in my autumnal years. It's tricky, isn't it, with the kids as well? Like I had a 12, 13-year-old at um, Touch Footy the other day yep. mouthing me off, threw the ball at me on turnovers. It, they're complete little snipers, And I'm like, what, what do I do to this 12-year-old kid who is, Humiliated. if he was six years older, I'd be, you know. And he's faster than you. So you can't catch Well, him. he can certainly <laughs> move in different directions a lot quicker than I can. Um, it's all is, about angles as you yeah, get older, you know. It's all about angles. It's all about those you, knees. <laughs> oh, you would have mm. had a significant break between competitive sports, I imagine, with all the touring. When did you pick it back up? Uh, I never played anything at any great level, um, yeah. unfortunately, because I think I could blame it on moving around a lot. But when at the time when I was probably playing some pretty good uh, footy and cricket we moved to northwestern sydney and there wasn't a good footy comp going on then like there is now and it was probably 15 years and then yeah. it was through getting asked to play in charity games in melbourne mm-hmm. the link with sports and music in melbourne is is really strong yeah and it is up here there's a good community uh, footy scene going on up here is this like the um Community, community cup, link, community cup, yeah, rec link stuff. Yeah, rec link. Um, Adam Yee and a bunch of other folks who who run that up in Sydney uh, are doing a, a great job with that. Uh, I'm not really associated with it anymore. I think it, my time's kind of done. But even just playing at a, at a district level is great. And after games, I always like to make sure there's a little PA set up and playing good records and just trying to get that link together. Yeah, I mean, yeah the social side of it. It's um, any opportunity really for meet folks outside your different circle and, yeah. and um, there's still some really shy humans out there who, who probably only really communicate through social media, maybe with their neighbours and with their families and I'd like those situations either at shows or at games where you, you meet people from all different walks of life, you hope. While we're on footy, I wanted to ask, you were the leader of the resistance um, at a certain <laughs> point in time. For our yeah. Queensland listeners, the North Melbourne Kangaroos, mm-hmm. um, been prolonged pushes for a long period of time to relocate the North Melbourne Kangaroos. Mm-hmm. Um, this push for the Gold Coast. Lots of chat now about moving them down to Tasmania as well, potentially. How mm-hmm. much of a role do you still have in the resistance? Uh, just as a... 
as a fan, really. What where that all started? I, I didn't start that whole thing. It was another supporters group that did, and I just go to a lot of games. I, I like going to watch games, and and some of the funniest comedy I've ever heard has been at, at footy games, baseball games too. But what I resented was that we were being told as a club, well, you haven't got enough. You haven't got enough supporters. You haven't got enough money. And it just felt like bullying to me. And I just really detest that if you're not the biggest, then you can't be the best mm. feeling or, you, or you're not worthy. I thought there was something uh, nasty and quite um, unethical, un-Australian, whatever it is about that. Because, yeah, we don't, we're not as big a club as uh, some of the others, but that doesn't mean that we're not worthy. Mm. And even if we uh, have a low supporter base, there's people who need that tangible experience of going to see their team train in Melbourne and, and to go to games and to, to be with their social circle. It kind of broke my heart that we were being told, you're not big enough, Gold Coast is where the money is. And I felt, um, again, just tying it back with music, uh, we know with you and I, with the hard-ons, with myself and the twin set, whatever configuration we're in, we know we're not the biggest, but it doesn't mean that we're not worthy. And mm. so that's where the whole resistance thing came from. And the current president of North Melbourne, and hopefully she will be for the next 50 years, Dr Sonia Hood, I met her through that. Now she's the president of the footy club and doing a magnificent job. They're so in a good spot. We'll, we'll, we'll wait till round 10 to make that appraisal. You know, because I'm not a realist. Rebuilding. Yeah. Rebuild. Oh, man, yeah, I hate that plan. word. <laughs> plan, 10 plan. You and I have been rebuilding since 1998. <laughs> we'll get there one day. Come on. But, but that said, you do see these moments. You see it with towns, you know. You hear towns that get written off. You know, that place is fucked. That place is it, just a town as a whole. And they kind of, and they prove everyone wrong eventually. You know, one, one I would say is Wellington, New South Wales, next to Dubbo. Always written off as a you know ice town or a lot of but now they've actually starting to hit their straps and they're proving everyone wrong what's what's going on there just uh, it's a, it was a town that was kind of the butt of the joke in, in rural New South Wales yep and little Antarctica little Antarctica they call it oh, little gotcha. Antarctica yeah. did it take over from Lithgow as far as just copping it Cause yeah well prison towns when prison. we were young Lithgow used to cop it yeah yeah until you go out there my dad used to work out there a bit and um, Singleton and, and uh, until you go out there and you meet half a dozen of the best people you've ever met yeah, in your yeah, life. Yeah. But There's always a great pub in any of these wild towns, but it's the prison towns, Copper. Yes. Um, and Wellington's one of them. But they've had a rebirth, and I look at other institutions and places that have done that. South Sydney Rabbitohs is a perfect example. Mm. They kicked out of the comp, and they all fought tooth and nail, and then they, you know, under Russell's tutelage, won a premiership, nearly won one last year. Yeah, I, I don't think... You see this, you do see it, and it's actually really interesting nowadays with seeing a renaissance in, in types of music, particularly with these different social medias. Kate Bush has been the funniest thing I've seen. You know, kids thinking she's a millennial artist mm. um, because of Stranger Things or because of TikTok, you know. The Fleetwood Mac on the skateboard drinking the cranberry juice yeah, was Fleetwood a big trend. Mac, yeah, the, my favourite of those stories happened, uh, it was 20-something, or th maybe 30 years ago, and my probably my favourite performer in the world, Nick Lowe, uh, of, of rock pile and and he's a producer and he's a he's a gentleman he's maybe in his early 70s now but he wrote a song called what's so funny about peace love and understanding uh which elvis costello covered first but then and nick Lowe, his nickname's the basher because of his playing style but he's just a, he was a not a shit kicker but but um just a working musician and journeyman journeyman yeah. thank you but what's so funny about peace love and understanding got covered by a guy called curtis steiger's 
for the soundtrack to the film The Bodyguard, which sold squillions. And so Nick Lowe, who was living a humble but good life and always working and always writing great songs, became a millionaire overnight. And he said, yeah, I became a millionaire overnight. And you know what? It's really great. (laughs) And so I've been hoping and hoping. uh, You know, I get the call from Harry Styles' manager and and it says, hello, Tim, it's, you know, it's – Nelly, I'm 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 uh, Harry Styles' manager. He he wants to do a cover of Heavy Heart. I go take it, take it, <laughs> run with it, Has. <laughs> go for it. The um, but the Kate one's a great story. I mean, if 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 there are kids who haven't heard her music before, and and really, the way KB has run her whole music career because mm. she you know is so heavy into production, and when she doesn't want to tour, she doesn't yeah. doesn't for years. She wanted to. Um, be with her son Birdie, I think his name is when she got so she went off the road for 20 years, yeah, yeah, and just didn't feel the pressure to go out and sell, 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 yeah. and then through a TV show and every, sells yeah, a million records. They've discovered it, yeah. It's like every kid thinks they've discovered Kate Bush or Kate Bush is an emerging, which is where you want to be. I always said that to the violent Soho guys every time you hear their music or you oh. see them at, at a band, it's like band. it's like it's the first time they've played because it's a fairly timeless kind of sound they have. They, um. I got to know them through Luke, their bass player, did some photography for me for a record a couple of years ago and, and he said to me that I'd, I went to a Soho gig uh, at the Annandale and it was maybe a couple of years after they'd started but, you know, they were playing in the front row of the Annandale and apparently they'd noticed my disinterest, which wasn't actually the case. I was probably just loaded. But then when I became this complete slavish fan, just like, every you know, everyone else, anyway, it... Seeing them it was like the first time they were yeah. playing. That enthusiasm, and I found that really, really invigorating. Yeah, yeah. And st- and still do. I mean, uh, hanging around this band, uh, clowns, you know, um, Melbourne punk kind of hardcore band. And every time I hang around them, it makes me want to just go and try harder. Or yeah. we played with a band, uh, Glitterous in Canberra, with <laughs> the hard-ons the other month. And hard-ons and Glitterous. Well, they're, they're four of the m- most interesting women you'll meet. Just the way that they, their whole approach to music is militant is probably the wrong word, but they, they have such an objective and righteous way of doing it. And I guess with playing in the hard ones, our only kind of dictum is that you're good to people yeah. and you want to play the best show and the hardest show ever. Mm-hmm. So it's... Not incompatible with the bamboos or with the hardens, with you and I yeah. or with the twin set. That we come to this point where we actually just want to see people enjoy. Yeah, you know. Uh, do, you rather find, than, do you find there's parcels of like uh, there's, a, there's a there's a he's a actually a forensic uh, journalist, investigative reporter now, but he was a music journalist for years. Mahmoud Fazal, he lives out near you. Uh, he's in Dalesborough, I think. And he said he perfectly articulated Tasmania to me. He said it feels like. The last place that hasn't got the internet, but they have it. You know what I mean? You, they, they're completely in their own thing, and I and I'm, it, it was perfect. I went down there to Launceston the other day, and I was just in a pub, and I fucking stumbled. It felt like it was the nineties. I walked into a room, and I was in the nineties, and there was a band playing. What were they called? I'll, I'll shout them out now because I was having a good time. Dirty Motel. That was their name. Dirty. I I know the Dirty Motel. <laughs> it's actually in Wollongong. Yeah. <laughs> we were in. Um, I was with Alice in uh, Triabunna. 
in which is about 100 miles out of Hobart on yeah. the east coast because we were doing a ballet out there, uh, well, working on a ballet. And, yeah, it's similarly, you know, what kind of felt like, okay, we're, we're <laughs> still in the Wild West, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. And it was fascinating. Yeah. And great, yeah. And but you, you, you can walk in and you feel like you've got a local band playing the local pub in front of their local fans, mm. and you feel like, is this how they felt when they discovered Killing Heidi? Is in Adelaide, you know? Is this how they felt when they, when they saw these kids? Some people are still doing it, you know. They're gigging in town every night. Oh, it, it, it happens. Yeah. Um, I got asked recently, "What are you most looking forward to this year?" And I said, oh, "I, it's it's the gig I don't know about yeah. yet." And I, I think they were. The, the suggestion was, "Come on, push mm. something that's coming up." And I said. I'm going to be in Lonnie one night and work, walk into a pub and there's Dirty Hotel playing. Yeah. And they've got their own scene going yeah, on. Yeah. And what's um, I mean, there's been uh, Stiff Richards who I saw when I was still living in St Kilda. It was maybe 2018. And they were playing at my local pub called Misery Guts in St Kilda, Stiff Richards. And they were and still are the one you know one of the four greatest rock bands i've ever seen in my life and i i just happened upon them i walked in after a cricket game i think with my best mate mick and and there were the stiff richards and that stuff still happens yeah, you know yeah. but i guess it just takes people taking a punt on things well, just and walking into the place you know, yeah take, it's, it's have a night out it's not going to happen every night yeah. but to take a punt on things mm. is how it does happen and they can become your Band, which is kind of special. I mean, finding something that you love that um, millions of people are into is one feeling, but mm. finding something that you feel that you've become part of. I got chatting with an old friend of mine, Pete Danks, a uh, Sydney boy, who wrote to me just the other day and said, I'm listening to your first EP and it still gives me great feelings about how we used to hang around, um, you know, in dingy pubs in uh, Western Sydney in the early 90s. And I thought, I like that memory. That was yeah. good, you know. Yeah. It, and um, and he took a punt on us. Yeah. I think it was probably at the the Hope Town. Don't look for kids. It's it's not silly. It's that's not going to happen again, is it? No. <laughs> Damn, what a yeah. pub that was. It was on the corner there, Burke Street. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's going on there? It is a Mexican standoff between three old stubborn brothers that own it, and. Uh, Wow. One wants to operate it, one wants it to fall apart, one wants to sell it. So <laughs> you can't really put that one on the council, unfortunately. Let's, let's, um, there's a concept record we could write about that. Yeah. You, you've, got, you've got just the guy. Yes, secession. <laughs> you sound like you are a patron of bands coming through, which, as I said, ballet has the patrons, the arts, painters have patrons. Musicians don't often have the tap on the shoulder, hmm. you know, saying keep it up, good work, or come on the road with us. Or Tell me about, though, when you guys were in that moment you were talking about earlier when, you know, you were making music and you were household names in Australia and, you know, record labels were telling you America's next. But you had Australia, you feel, under your arm and you were you could play any night. Do I said 300 nights a year. Was there a camaraderie in the scene or you were you guys very much... You, yourselves were you oh it was definitely a camaraderie yeah. I guess we were touring mostly with a lot of Powderfinger shows they were mm -hmm. they supported us probably 50 times and they were very dear friends and still are and seeing their rise any any band that's really become big in the past 30 years has supported us at one yeah. stage of a, of a particular genre in that yeah. There was great camaraderie. Um, remember Paul Dempsey of something for Kate breaking a rib of mine, uh, playing footy in Perth uh, when we go going to uh, Rock and Roll High School in Melbourne, and particularly meeting young women out there, sourpuss and 
um, meeting Brody, who um, then formed the Distillers in the States, and uh, Magic Dirt. Watching their ascendancy was so genuinely exciting, and meeting Adelaide for the first time. It was it was good com- uh, camaraderie, and I almost said competitiveness because I'm sure there was that mm. going on. I think when it was pretty obvious that we were going on the downward slope and acts like uh, Jet in particular, uh, the Vines. I don't think we played with Jet much, if at all, but they were friends. Uh, we used to just hang out and get into trouble together. Um, but those bands coming through. And but when we knew that we were kind of on the, on the downward slope and that fell a little odd. And my priorities were different because my daughter had just been born. I was really trying to be a good husband at the time and, and, and a father. And so there was a bit of conflict there. But I knew that uh, I didn't have the stamina to try and keep up with or in any way be, um, be competitive. That competitive stuff, remember the first time we went to the States uh, in 92, 93, and every band we ran into wanted to ask us about what, who are you signed with and who's your agent. And First time I ran into Marilyn Manson for the first time. It was in Atlanta, Georgia, 94. We were on the Soundgarden tour. And there's this part of Atlanta, Georgia called uh, Little Five Points. And I was walking with Russ and Andy and we are just looking for a bar and, and up the road comes scary people. Oh! And, <laughs> and uh, this dude with um, who looks like, you know, Marilyn Manson and comes and says, hey, you're you, you am I. And I said, yes, scary man, can we go into this bar out of the light? You're scaring me. And um, and he wanted to know who's your agent, who's good in Australia, and went straight into the so this, business. Even talk. this goth is talking establishment kind of shit. It was yeah. all business. And so we, we sort of thought, well, we need to make some decisions about looking after things, but we just know that we're not those kind of people. Yeah. Now, when, when we got to Europe, uh, for the first 20 tours and, and particularly England and everyone we played with just wanted to, for lack of a better term, party. Yeah. And it was just all about, you know, let's just fucking get absolutely wankered. Yeah. And there was not as talking, much talk about... a few Gallagher's and that kind of crowd? Uh, or was it was small, smaller acts what than was, that. What was the loosest kind of scene you were in over there? Was it the... Uh... I was just at pub scenes around, yeah, right. around Britain. By the time we met up with Oasis... They were already so huge. You know, the first time we met them was at the Budokan Theatre in Japan. We did four nights there. And, and when we first met Liam and Noel, and they said, look, we've got to get one thing fucking straight, right? Anything you fucking need, you just come and fucking ask. <laughs> and I said, oh, g'day. Because they asked us to do the tour. And they were the sweetest, funniest, and that was loose, like so loose, but because it had an extra element that there were thousands of people outside the hotel each night in Japan or in Hong Kong yeah, or then Australia on top of it all. Yeah, 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 which was seeing that from afar was great because you wind up in someone's hotel room, and um, Giggsy, the bass player at the time, was so into reggae and dub music because that's what he grew up with in the suburbs of Manchester and. And it would all be about that, getting to Giggsy's room mm. at 4 a.m. And so even amongst that mayhem, it was all about you just want to end up with yeah. your mates yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and not people who just want to hang out unless they had something to drop off. If and that time leave. was happening now, do you think there might have been a few more headlines written about you and you am I? It seemed like a pretty controversy-free You, you can't career. bugger up much. Yeah, I mean, it took Liam to headbutt someone for that. Yeah, it... it you're right. I mean, if... Um, the all or nothing's a bit harder to pull off nowadays. Yeah, and you just... 
I know we probably didn't act all that politely or, or yeah. friendly to, to everyone and we would have been called out. I don't think there was anything particularly nefarious, but mm. um, I'm sure we were rude to people at times yeah, and, yeah. and we would have been called out as we should have. But, yeah, well, you, you don't necessarily have to do anything yeah. nefarious now. To but also, you, don't, you, <laughs> yeah. you see that with like... See a group of five blokes. They're probably all plumbers and accountants, and they're pissed walking down the street, and they're they're not pleasant to be around. So imagine, imagine like uh, so yeah, imagine imagine running into a group of blokes that you know of, and they're acting like that, and that's even more offensive, mm. you know. <laughs> yeah, look, the, the hairiest situations I've been into the past couple of years have been with either um, the footy team or cricket team, and and people just getting loose, and <laughs> but because. And I think because of my physicality, because I'm sort of six foot three, big nose and all that kind of thing, and you get attention, mm. but it is, it's after work crowds. And yeah. it's um, people my age, men, women, otherwise, at shows who are the, are the worst, yeah. uh, whether it's in you know, a solo shows or twin set shows. But then what we try and we need to talk about rather than you, sometimes you just want to get people thrown out of a building and think, who knows what's going on in their life? Yeah, for sure. There may be a nurse who's just had the worst week and they just want to get loose. Yeah. And so you just try and neg- navigate it in a way, if they're not listening and they want to jump on stage and grab your microphone, just let's get you off the stage. Yeah. And and, um, yeah. and if someone's acting loose later on, you just got to take, pull them apart and say, hey, what's going on? Especially a rock show where it's like, we know that this is a pressure valve. We know that this is what you're here for. Yeah. It's not like a comedy show where it's so much more tense than someone's saying. I can understand a comedian asking for that person to be taken out because it's such a crucial kind of art form that they're trying to navigate here. And, That's a very good point. And you can mm. th- you can derail them with with. You and know. it can turn into a very uncomfortable sledging match, yeah, which yeah, is like yeah. everyone's like, "No, I just wanted to." But come like here a rock show, someone's on stage. I get it. She's fucked up. Yeah, as you said, she's probably a nurse. She's a frontline worker. She's just had a few too many shardies. Like, do do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, but with comedy, I guess because it's it's so much about timing. Yeah. That yeah, for hecklers at comedy shows, you know. People, come on! Just let this thing gestate. You don't, you don't know where this is going. Remind me of that when I heckle at the next comedy show I go to. Um, I, there's a great one that um, Cam James, is a comedian, tells about. Um, he's a Newcastle boy, and he grew up obviously madly in love with Silverchair. Mm. And one time he was playing up in Hi-Fi and doing a gig, and, and he looked out the back, and it was um, Daniel Johns was there, and he heckled him and said, "Tell a joke," and he yelled out. Um, Play freak. that <laughs> <laughs> back to uh, <laughs> Oh dear, it was, Daniel. Um, it was it was a good sledge. You know, know with that with that what you were saying with the scrutiny and, and I guess social media. But I got a call from Daniel. It was two years ago, and I hadn't spoken to him in five years, I guess. And, and got this call and he said, "Hey, Timmy, it's Dan. How you doing?" And and I was um, I'd had a couple, and he had as well. And so we're talking. But after an hour, I thought, I don't know if this is a prank. And so after all, I hung up and I called Chris from the chair. I said, yeah. hey, is this Daniel's number? And he went, yeah, what, what's up? And I said, I can't believe it. I, Daniel sounded, it was a fantastic chat and very emotional. But I thought, oh, this could be a prank. This is kind of the era that we live in about trying to set up people. Oh, let's, let's, get, let's make fun of uh, old Timmy Rogers by pranking. And so I called um, Dan back and we chatted for a couple of hours and it was great. But I, I just hated that I had to check that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that, that is funny when everything's uh, documented and everything's, uh, you know. Well, we can blame Ashton Kutcher for that. Thank you, you know, punk. Punk. Yeah, that was his TV. That was. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Ah, 
Yeah. I, I, I've never felt to blame Ashton for anything yet, but here we are. <laughs> blame him for Twitter as well. He was an early investor. Now, on the controversies, can we ask you about Mark Holden at the Adelaide Airport yeah, all those yeah, yeah. years ago? Please. Yeah, uh, we were playing Adelaide somewhere and we were trying to score drugs. So the best we'd come up with was some kind of downer that we just crushed up and went for. Davey and I, not the rest of the gentlemen, uh, we were being pretty stupid. So we turned up at the airport and just trying to find a bar that was open and we did. Kept drinking. We'd be, we'd, you know, if you fight off downers, then you get this odd little... I'm not high from it. And uh, anyway, we were feeling pretty fruity and Mark walked by with his crew <laughs> and just kind of sneered at me and and I said something like, oh, no, bugger off. And and he kind of went at me and said, what, are you trying to get a headline? And I said, I don't need you to get a flipping headline. And so we just had a little bit of a pushing match and um, then whoever our tour manager was at the time said come on let's get to the lounge and so we went to the lounge and and mark and his crew were there and we're just kind of having goes at each other from across the room (laughs) and so uh, the flight attendants came over and um said mr rogers you're not allowed to get on the plane and i said well if i'm not allowed to get on the plane either's that drop punt over there and pointed to mark and so we both got on the plane but i thought on planes you you're in a enclosed space so we kept it quiet anyway um then it made a a minor headline but mark and i've met up subsequently just we saw each other at the bar and and um i think we've done some charity things together and and we come from different places ends of the industry but we both studied law and so that's what we talk about when we see each other but Share a couple of touchdowns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the whole thing that, that I blamed him for being on The Voice and made a big deal of it, that's just not true. It, it, oh, so that it was pitched as you were like, uh, you were anti-reality rock stars. Is that uh, it, it's not about? my thing, but yeah. no, no, it, it wasn't. It was the, he, I thought he was being smarmy and I was being a, a drunk <laughs> twit. No, no, there was, because that, that level of entertainment, I don't know, I don't, really like the way it goes about it because it's not allowing people to to make mistakes and yeah. and maybe there's a bit of jealousy with the, the way that i sing but i know some good people who worked on that show you know meg washington worked on that show in the first series and some other people i admire a lot so no but <laughs> not for Ma- me. mark and i are fine he, he, he goes to a restaurant that i love in, in st kilda i, I like seeing him because we we don't, we don't talk about fights in airports you know it's, <laughs> he's an he's a human i'm Half human. We we can get along. It was just a moment. So it was quite a moment, though. Right? <laughs> that was a whole day getting getting told by officials. Uh, we we cannot let you on this plane. But I was. I'm glad I still had the wherewithal to go. Well, if I'm not, he's, he's not, not coming either. Yep. That's um. That's law. <laughs> how far did you? How far did you get through the law degree? First I got year, through second year, four years. Oh. So pretty much all of it. Yeah, I had a nervous breakdown after three years. I think it was three. And so in at the ANU in Canberra, and so I tried to start up again at Uni of New South Wales and Sydney Uni and um, Sydney Uni, I think, and Macquarie. Mm. Uh, but I just, I was toast by then. I was so heavily medicated, I couldn't concentrate. And it wasn't my thing. I was really just scraping through on the legal side. I loved the art side of studying uh, literature and poetry and mm. That was fun. I'd love to go back one day, but I wouldn't do law again. Yeah, fair enough. One thing I did want to ask you about is you've been quite open and upfront about 
mental health struggles and you just mentioned there you had the breakdown Mm -hmm. a long time before it became uh, less stigmatized. <laughs> yeah, before people... <laughs> a merchandise <laughs> opportunity. There's a merchandise opportunity. Well, no, I'm, I'm jumping on that. There's, there's plenty of uh, men's mental health awareness groups and whatever now. It's all... And a lot of them doing great work and it's, it's become a much larger thing and it's much more spoken about. But you were speaking about that stuff and you were quite open about it a little while ago, like before it was more... Back when we thought it was satanic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> What was the <laughs> Well, it quite possibly is. The only reason I talked about it was that what helped me, apart from a process of medication and, and working on it, and it, it's, it can kick my ass at any stage, you know, so mm. hopefully not today. That's, that's okay. my, my only thought. But um, I talked about it because uh, at that time I didn't know what anxiety was. I got diagnosed as being, um, as being schizophrenic and... That was felt at the time like a death sentence, and so I went on all the meds and and uh, was before the band started and um, and just thought, oh, that's my life over and this is the way that it is now. That was before the band. Yeah, well, I think the band had started, but I got that diagnosis from a psychiatrist in uh, it was in Northern Sydney, I think, and and um, yeah, it was, it was it was kind of dire, and so it was just this year of being very heavy meds, and then. Um, through a bit of therapy talking about it i just i went off the meds far too quickly cold turkey which probably was well it was a very bad idea and uh the band i had to go out and play and to get on stage and confront some things because i what i had was probably an anxiety disorder and very obsessive um, compulsive behavior and had to work on that by touring and a lot of very confronting situations and odd reactions to things that uh, when I got to talk to other people who'd experienced the levels of anxiety that I was having, it all made sense. It didn't make the attacks any better, but but I could I realised what was going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, right. And where contextualise it. Contextualise it, but also I, know, I found out a little too late what gets me into that situation. I think if you're an anxious person and, and are having attacks, getting on the blow and, you know, staying up for five nights is not a good idea. Mm. And... So that's the only reason I talked about it. It, it, Look, honestly, um, it was not to try and get a vote um, or to get uh, any any sympathy because it was... um, Well, it was before that. It was was well before you could get any cultural capital out of talking about it. Yeah, people didn't speak about it. And it's come a long way since. I look at footballers now. I mean, he's retired now, but Jamal Idris was diagnosed... And every time he'd score a try, he'd do this next to his head, and he'd, wow. he'd do the you know the crazy hand sign, which was uh, which was you know it was great for people to see. Um. Well, Wayne Schwoss, uh, ex North Melbourne and Sydney Swans player, and e- easily one of the three toughest players I've ever seen, and he's got a, got an organisation Puck Up, which is a, a very similarly, and he when you look at footage of him playing and winning winning premierships with North, and he said it was torture Mm -hmm. and that's a very difficult situation i do worry that it can get used as an excuse if people bugger up and say hey look i'm struggling Mm. well you know we're all struggling uh (laughs) um it's actually in the playbook now for an apology it's like yeah first time you hear about it after an incident a couple of nights ago (laughs) yeah Yeah. that's that's dangerous because uh there are definitely different levels it's like with a lot of habits that i have and behaviors you never know quite where on the scale you are so 
you know, I've gone and talked to someone and professionals can really help. I mean, there's one thing talking to your friends which is, and acquaintances and family, which is desperately important. But I think, um, you know, there are professionals out there who are amazing as well. So yeah. and, and even starting with a GP, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. Where yeah. do I go from here? And that's, 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 I guess that's the one door after you, mates, right? You go, all right, they know about it, but let's mm. talk to a pro. <laughs> I, I do think so. And, and you may have to try a number of different people until you f- can yeah. find out what's working for you. Um, and to, you know, all that stuff about trying meditation and um, probably don't delve straight into the drugs unless you talk to a professional and they think that you need a, a circuit breaker. Yeah. Um, I had to go back on some medication a couple of years ago because it was at the point where I actually couldn't have a break. Yeah. And, well, I felt like I couldn't because I was back touring again. And, well, there's a pressure at the moment with uh, particularly being anything that um, it's not been a couple of good couple of years. And so you're encouraged to just take any work you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was um, just running myself a bit ragged. And that so was, I went was back like on the meds. Especially after those lockdowns and especially coming out of Victoria – there was a lot of people, they didn't say no to one thing for a year, mm. uh, whether it was socially or whether it was work-wise. Do you feel, I mean, we want to talk about what you work on now. Mm-hmm. Do you feel coming out of the pandemic was a great time to reassess, I feel, for a lot of creatives? That's what we're learning in our interviews. You're able to look at everything and, and, and uh, reassess or, or at least map a way forward. We've spoken, you've spoken about, you know, uh, you've figured out your mental health you figured out albeit too late but you figured out how to make it you know you can figure out your circuit breakers and you can figure out your way forward and you know touring back to front what is it like now do you feel like you're a well-oiled machine or no no i still have uh shows that are really not great um had a couple at the end of last year because i was pretty uh burnt out uh no we whichever act i'm with there's not a not a great safety net there even such things there's no backing tapes uh, yeah, right. so many acts use backing tapes these days but uh, with the twin set at the moment it's a folk rock band anything can go wrong at any time and if um if you're only giving 70 percent, you get shown up yeah. at the level of musicianship hard on is exactly the same and, and you and i played a show the other night where davey and i knew that we had a twin set show on the friday and then we had a big old night and then backed up with you on my show. And at a particular point, we said, okay, we've actually got to focus here. Yeah. Because we turned up at Frankston in Victoria and there were thousands of people there and it was an all-ages show. And we thought, okay, there are kids here. We've got to kind of reassess this. And it meant that we just dug in and played a really, really good rock and roll show. But, yeah, there's not a, there's not a safety net there. And yeah. it, there's nothing worse other than bereavement and broken hearts that – after playing a bad show, it's kind of, you're kind of inconsolable. And it's a sting. It's an, it's How long does it eat away? Does it eat away at you for days? And Until days you play or? a good show. Yeah, yeah right. right. Which is the great, it's the great part about touring is that you get a chance to redeem yourself. Redeem yeah. yourself. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, until that next show is awful. Yeah. Because you know when a show's happening and it's not going well uh, and you just – trying to turn it around and trying to turn it around and you just can't and whether it's gear or or your own performance or you've got to you know is it such a thing infection. as a bad crowd do you think oh well yes there is and <laughs> but then, like, as i said the comedians believe in that theory like shit crowd or not but uh, it's always because yeah. it, and i have talked to i was talking to charlie pickering about this the other day actually that 
you've got to try and remember there's someone at the back of the room who's not heckling you, who's not the loudest person, who's not up the front, who really needs it tonight. Yeah. Maybe it's one in, in the 50 people that are there. And it's hard to, to remember sometimes, that you, if you, particularly if you're doing a spoken word gig and all you can hear is this crap at the front and people shouting out. And you can't spit the dummy at the whole crowd. You can't spit the dummy at the whole crowd. I definitely have and, and do really regret it. So I've got to remember that now there's someone in the room somewhere who really needs this yeah, tonight. Yeah, yeah. So you'd concentrate it's on them. night out, yeah. yeah. The, um, we did a hard-on show in the Bowen Club in Geelong and, and Bowen's just got such a wonderful history and it's a great rock and roll club. But I turned up, I was the new singer and I just knew we we're going to cop it because Geelong's a rock and roll town, you know, Detroit. And I, so I went on in gold boots and tidy little gold shorts and I thought, I'm just going to go ponce it out. And the front row wanted to kill me. But after four songs, I've just kept my head down, looking to Ray, Blackie, to Murray and thinking, oh, well, if we're going to go out, we might as well go out. And um, after four songs, these dudes at the front who wanted to kill me just didn't know what to do. So I think they just moved towards the back. We just had to concentrate on the, the people who, who who really wanted to dance and enjoy it. <laughs> Get out the front. They're sitting there glaring at you. Oh, don't. Yeah. And <laughs> just go to the pub and find a fight. Yeah, the there's, and there's, there's no barrier at the, yeah, at the yeah. bar one. And, you know, and there are my little gold shorts and gold boots. Well, yeah, if you're going to go out, <laughs> this is one way. So what's what's on the cards this year? We got This new twin set record is, yeah. is out and... We're kind of ecstatic about it and feel as a, as a project that's been from go to woe well thought out and passionate and fun. And so we're touring with the twin set for the next uh, couple of months, then go to Europe with the hard-ons and we release the new hard-ons record. And then we're going to get stuck into a UMI record, which we've started writing. Uh, so the year's looking looking busy and there's a potential theatre project as well. Up right. a, and, but I want to get to, to work on this book. It's a book about reading and what reading can do for cognition and, and moods and, and how you can maybe it can help with addiction as well through what you're reading and particularly reading fiction. Yeah, right. And uh, reading from books and not screens. And so mm. doing right. a bit of research well, I look about forward that. to reading that. And um, good luck with this movie that we're not allowed to know about <laughs> in the aid up the yin yang but um it, it, <laughs> it's it's a big and it was so much fun and i'm dying to talk about it but you know the, it, with, you get sent these forms and um yeah yeah no you gotta take it seriously a little oh, well do you <laughs> this is batuta man we can't take yeah, it any too seriously that's it. well thank it's you for joining us today tim it's been a real pleasure